You're listening to The Science of Superpowers with Tonya Dawn Reclar. Listen here, read the book, and dive into the experience. everybody and thank you so much for joining us again I, I love having you back here these conversations just light me up and today's is no exception today's conversation is so near and dear to my heart as you all know the the willingness to to meet each other in in spaces of, of mutual respect kindness politeness right just just downright decency so that we can maybe, push the needle a little bit on, on understanding each other a little bit better and, and, and start looking at ways um, of doing things perhaps more creatively in ways that even might enrich all of us, right? And so so that's really near and dear uh, in the heart here of, of both me as well as the organization, right? We, that, that, that's what it's founded on. It's this willingness to, to bring everyone into the same conversation and and the willingness to get everyone to work together. Those of you who've read my book know that that those were the marching orders, right? Like to someone who wasn't real interested in those as their marching orders. So, so that's sort of where I found myself and the journey I've been on. And and so I get really excited when I, I meet up with others in, in 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 reality who are are tackling conversations in in ways that. Um, you know, are just just bold and, and a willingness to say, hey, maybe there's something here we can learn, or maybe there's something we don't know, um, and, it, and it can offer us a different perspective. And so today's conversation is all around when conversations get messy, right? And we, I mean, talk about all the things that you're not supposed to talk about, right? Religion, race, uh, relationships, right? We, we do all of that here. And so so we're willing to get messy and, and to mess up and to maybe say the wrong thing and, and to atone for that. Um, and to meet each other in love and grace. And so today's guest is Jack Lessonberry, who, amongst other things, dove head on into a, a pretty sizable controversy over the last few years um, in his book, Reason Versus Racism, A Newspaper Family, Race and Justice. And it's a phenomenal story around getting into something and really peeling back the layers, getting messy with it so that you can shine some light on it. So I'm really excited about his perspective and sort of his approach to life. And maybe we can learn something about that courage to to just start having conversations, even when they're messy. So Jack, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm excited for this chat. It's an honor to be here, Tanya. Oh, beautiful, beautiful. Well, the honor is definitely ours. And we'll jump in here and share with our get, or our listeners what are your superpowers and how are you using them for good? Well, I've never thought of myself as having any superpowers and I've never been tempted to change into my costume in a phone booth. But to the extent that I have any <laughs> talents, to the extent that I have any talents, um, I, <clears throat> um, they have to do with writing and communication and, and research. But I think maybe my best feature is the capacity to be interested in almost anything. And that's what journalists, of course, I was trained as a journalist, uh, do. And I think it's very helpful. And I also think to the extent that I, I bring anything of value to projects is that I have uh, a, a vast knowledge of history and a sense of history. And I think that helps inform everything I do. Mm, beautiful. And I, and I agree with that. One of the things I really enjoyed about the book was was the history of it, right? I think it's super important. We get really skewed perspectives. I think if we're not willing to go back through and put lenses on of different time frames and different ideas, because we have a tendency of looking at things through the lens that we currently view the world in and thinking that 
that's an accurate depiction. And what what you and 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 you credit your wife Elizabeth with a lot of the research also really did a great job of was was sort of painting a picture into a world um, that that none of us have recollection of being a part of, right? In 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 the way that we understand the world now, right? And so so you did a great job of saying, hey, we've got to be willing to to remember what the world looked like at that point in time. And so could you share a little bit with our listeners? We'll just tease them a little bit about the idea behind the book, how you got involved with the project. And then we'll I'd talk more glad, about that after the break. I'd be glad to, but I also want to praise something you said, which I think is, is, is very important that when you judge people in other time periods, you have to put themselves yourself in that time period to see you know, what the world was like then. Now that doesn't mean you ever excuse somebody like Hitler, but when you look at how people behaved and how people acted, uh, you have to think, you know, every man is a product and a prisoner of the time and place they're in, every man and every woman. And you got to put yourself, and I think especially with race relations. Now, this whole project is, uh, came about in sort of an interesting way. Um, uh, th- there's a family, most newspapers used to be family owned, now very, almost none of them are, but there's a family, the Block family, B L O C K which still owns newspapers in Pittsburgh and Toledo and used to own them in a lot of places all over the country. And they had had an editorial that had caused them to be accused of being racist. I thought it was a very clumsily written editorial and I didn't agree with it. I didn't think it was racist, but the CEO of the company, and I've had uh, a relationship as a consultant and a long time ago, a reporter for this family for well over 40 years, the CEO of the company said that he thought they'd had a good record on race relations. And he asked if I'd be willing to write and research a book about their entire history. And I said, I would do that under the condition that I wrote whatever I founded, that there wasn't going to be a censorship, <laughs> that if something didn't look, that I, I knew some of their history and what I knew was good, but uh, that if I saw something that wasn't good, I was going to write that. And he agreed. He agreed with that, no reservations. And the funny, he said, well, I want you to read uh, every page of every newspaper we ever published. And I said, <laughs> I said, Alan, I said, nobody could do that. Your grandfather owned papers all over the country. And uh, he said, well, do the best you can. And I said, well, you know, I'd have to go to these, most of these cities, these newspapers are not online. Some of them are, but most of them aren't. And I'd have to go and sit in local libraries and look at the microfilm. He said, we'll do that. We'll pay for it. And then I had the bright idea. Uh, Elizabeth, who you know shares shares my my life. I'm lucky enough to ever share my life with me as an archivist and a librarian. We work very well together. And I said, well, how about if I take her along? And he thought that was a good idea too. And she's much more technologically skilled that, uh, than I am as far as saving things on thumb drives, things like that. That everybody under the age of thirty is born knowing how to do. And uh, uh, I I am almost seventy and I, I can't. So we researched this. And we found some very very fascinating. Material and of course you you have to. I was helped by the fact that you have to realize that the way people saw the world in 1920, 30, 40, even 60 is entirely different from the way they do now. Mm-hmm. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, well, folks, I know you're intrigued by that. The story gets even better. So stay tuned because we're going to come back from the break and we're going to learn so much more about Jack's experiences in all of this and, and, and of course, his other wisdom in so many areas. Jack, where can we send people who want to find out more about you? Um, well, you can, I would recommend on my website, which is Lessonberry Inc., I-N-K, like ink pen, uh, .com. It, it, it's uh, very simple, just LessonberryInc.com. And if you want to find the book, it's available on Amazon, uh, but we'll talk more about that later. 
Beautiful. And we'll have links on the episode page for you all also. Um, go and check that out. And, and as well, make sure that you're looking into that community over at Superpower Experts. If you've been listening to the podcast, you know, this is where our guests and our listeners and our hosts um, and our other community members connect and, and get messy in conversations, right? We get to know each other and we, we learn how to navigate some of these waters together so that we can come up with creative solutions for a better future. Thank you all for listening. Stay with us. We'll be right back with Jack Lessonberry. We're talking all about when conversations get messy. Stay tuned. The Superpower Experience goes way beyond the podcast. Listeners can connect with hosts and one another inside the Superpower Universe Plus membership. Members get access to high vibe connections, Superpower masterclasses, and much, much more. Don't wait another moment to step into your superpowers. Go to superpowerexperts.com and sign up today. Awesome. We're back. You're listening to the Science of Superpowers, and we're talking today with Jack Lessonberry all about when conversations get messy. And as, I mean, great delivery before the break, Jack teased you all about the, the book and, and, and the project that he, he and his wife got involved with that really peeled the layers back uh, in an industry that is, I mean, I would say it is very much in upheaval right now as we kind of redefine the responsibility of media in, in our, not just our country, but globally, given all of the broadcasting and outreach mechanisms that exist now. It, th- these are big, big, big conversations because it's not just, we're not just talking about people's right to have an opinion. We're talking about responsibility as it relates to power that comes with having a listening audience and having influence. And so there's, there are many, many, many layers and dimensions to this conversation. And it, it's not an easy one that's going to be resolved in, in our little podcast that we do a good job of solving all the world's problems here. Just people don't tend to, you know, ask us for those solutions always, but, but, um, but in our own minds, you know, we think we, we, we can come to some harmonies here. Um, but, but I just, because this is, it's, it's like, maybe we should make this a little bit more lighthearted in the sense that, that we have some serious work to do together, but but we can come together and sort of appreciate the growth that we've had, and, and maybe even laugh at our our, our failings and and our, and our missteps, and 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 cry and 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 heal together in the sense. You that, know, Tanya, there's a yes, saying. Sir. There's a saying. I hate to interrupt you, but I'll, I'll forget if I don't. In many African, <laughs> in many African American churches, they say. Uh, Lord, I'm not what I, I'm not what I'm going to be. I'm not what I should be, but thank God, at least I'm not what I was. And I think think that's a a good thing to remember in a lot of situations. That captures it perfectly. And I, and I appreciate the interruption. I do because I want to hear more from you. I was kind of going on my soapbox there of, 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 of why I think that this is really important. And, and, and and before the break, you you shared a little bit about the contingencies of the project. And so my first question is, did you find anything that really surprised you um, as yes. you dove into the history? Yes. And what I found, in, and, and I want to say something that this is a book, the book is called Reason Versus Racism. And while it, it does all the things you mentioned, it also has a bunch of really good stories that I found. And can I share one with you? Please. Absolutely. Well, well in fact, uh, um, in... Uh, 1937, uh, President Franklin Roosevelt appointed, uh, appointed Hugo Black to the Supreme Court. Now, when you have a Supreme Court nomination, 
now is we, we have one, one in the works. It goes on for weeks and months with hearings. Back then, Black was nominated on August 12th and it was confirmed on August 17th. This was Washington, D.C. in the summer before air conditioning, and they all wanted to get out of town. There are all sorts of rumors that Black was in the Ku Klux Klan, which he, he had denied. And the, and the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette had a reporter named Ray Spriggle. Now, Spriggle had been in New York City. They would make movies about him. He was one of the best investigative reporters in history. He also was a chicken farmer. His big passion was chicken farming. <laughs> he went out to Alabama, found the head of the Klan, I'll, I'll condense this, and the guy said, I don't want to, I'm not going to talk to you about Hugo Black. And Spriggle said, I don't want to talk to you about Hugo Black. I want to talk to you about chickens. The guy said, what? He said, I heard you got a no-count son. You want to set up with chickens. And the guy said, that's right. Come over to the house. We so came over to the house. They drank some, they drank some bourbon and uh, chewed some tobacco. And he said, he said, and he said, well, what should I do with my, he said, I'm going to set my son up with a flock of uh, leghorns. And, and Spriggle said, oh, don't do that. He said, they, they're good. Their meat's good, but they're poor egg layers. You want Wyandots instead. So the clan guy said, say, you're all right. And he opened the safe and gave him all the proof that Hugo Black was in the Ku Klux Klan. <laughs> so, I mean, that's something you might want to make into a movie. And um, now this was at a time in 1937, um, white newspapers, you know, we had segregation in this country, certainly in the South, we had Jim Crow. White newspapers, what we think of them as, as majority daily newspapers, did not employ black reporters. There was only one paper I know about that had a black reporter before World War II. And then newspapers like baseball, it was very much like baseball. Most people know you had uh, black, what were called Negro baseball leagues and white baseball leagues. And we're starting with Jackie Robinson, they were integrated. And it wasn't until after World War II that uh, newspapers were integrated. And, and these papers, the black newspapers, were among the very first in the country to do that. Well, I love that analogy that you made, and it, and it you know, it, it painted such a beautiful picture of the fact that this, these are huge sort of systemic conversations in the sense that there are ripple effects to to every move that we make, and sort of sort of the idea of um, you know what happens in communities when their storytelling gets sort of integrated into right. a larger picture. And what what does that do, right? And so integration was phenomenal because of power and money and resources and all kinds of other things. And yet, there are still some ripple effects within communities because of that. And there and and that's why I think these conversations are are really encouraging more and more of us to look at this um, kind of both and prospect of like, okay, yes, the the integration is necessary. We have to figure out how to do this, and we also have to honor the fact that. That's a whole lot of different types of stories to be told. How do we get to be representative in that? And it's that's a big conversation. Um, there's, a little so, something, so, there's a little device that I, I, I want to uh, have you and your many listeners think about. And uh, uh, black people in this country have to live in two worlds, the black world and the white world. White people only live in one. Now, Tanya, do you know the song Lift Every Voice and Sing? I don't know if I'm familiar with it. You're probably not. Almost no white person is. Every black person in America knows that song. That song has been sung in their churches since uh, since the end of slavery, at least. It's called by them, it was called the Negro National Anthem. Uh, mm -hmm. Every black person knows that song by heart. No white person does. But of course, every black person also knows the Star Spangled Banner. It's like being being bilingual. Again, blacks live in what are culturally 
two different worlds. White people live only in one. And uh, I think that that's a fact that has to inform all our thoughts about race in this country. Well, and, and it's in, in the, to add on top of that, the, the dialogues get really stunted when we want to just pick them apart at right. a specific word or a specific phrase. Like it, 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 it makes sense to me how we've kind of gotten into that with the onslaught of social media, but you did a great job of depicting the fact that the, the infighting, the divisiveness and name calling, that's nothing new. We just can do it at louder decibels and broader right. ranges now than we could before. But, but that ugliness was occurring back in the day in newspapers. And so it's like, you know, you can't, that's where this, this historical perspective and also the perception of, of, of our current consciousness really have to kind of find harmony together so that we, um, and I think we need to have both that, that, that historical lens and also the willingness to adapt. And, 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 and so, and, and both of those to me are at play in these conversations, but these aren't the only conversations that you're involved with. And I really love that at the beginning of this episode, you mentioned being trained as a journalist. And I think that, that that's kind of a unique thing. You know, there, there was a, a period of time where those who had um, influence, certainly it wasn't a perfect system, but there was some barrier to entry. Right. And, and at this point there's, there's none, right. It, it, nobody, there's no training necessary to, to broadcast, to, to, to write to anything. And so you're talking about a concept that um, has been challenged by technology now. Like, what do you see looking forward for maybe how we can get a little bit more responsibility back into these conversations, um, given how easy it is? I think you're absolutely right. We say now that everybody's a publisher, but nobody's an editor. And for, I mean, i I grew up making all sorts of mistakes and have being beaten up by trained editors and learning how to be 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 a, a journalist. Uh, and it's it you know there are a lot of things you do have to learn to do it well. But now anybody can start a website or get online. And it's if you do not uh, have an education in critical thinking, you can't tell the New York Times, which is probably the most reputable newspaper in the world, from Joe's basement blog. And so I think. <laughs> I think we need schools, but also we have to find a way. I gave a speech a few years ago to librarians in Michigan. We have to find a way to get people to use critical thinking, to have them, you know, mm -hmm. challenge, you know, what they hear and figure out, you know, why is, uh, you know, who is an expert, who is, who really should be credible on this. And you can see this certainly in the vaccine controversy where you have people some people uh, not understanding that somebody like Anthony Fauci, who has spent his life as one of the world's top infectious disease specialists, might know a little bit more about this than a guy who sells pillows. And, and uh, it's sort of remarkable. Now, that doesn't mean all experts are right. Experts make mistakes. People have certainly a right to their own opinions, but you want to have a right to an informed opinion, and you want to make sure that you are weighing everything and being as fair as possible. They used to, sometimes people say journalists aren't objective. They never were. You can't be objective, but you have to, you have to be, I mean, if you're objective, you'd say, uh, um, the, you know, uh, the child was brutal, brutally slain and the murderer had a good time. Uh, you'd be nuts if you wrote something like that, but you have to try to figure out where everybody's coming from, what that, what their background is. And, you know, Plato, Plato, I don't think really said this, but there's a quote that's attributed to Plato, the ancient Greek philosopher, is that 
Um, be kind to everybody you meet because they're fighting a, a hard battle internally that you don't know anything about. And that mm-hmm. certainly is true. So I think everybody has to try to figure out where everybody else is coming from. And the more you do that, the more you are going to have some insight into things. Brilliantly said. And and, and it's, it reminds me of when um, you, you mentioned so many points that, that clue it. So my husband and I both met teaching in the counterintel special agent course. And when we, um, at that time, they had come to me and asked me to write a course in critical thinking. And I said, mm. um, no, thank you. And they said, well, why not? And I said, because you don't really want me to do that. And they said, how come? And I said, because it's rather antithetical to the rank structure. You're not going to be pleased with the results. And um, and they said, well, we don't have a choice. We are we need our agents to be quick-witted and thinking on the ground. And so you know, an ability, you know, that ability to be versatile and, and pivot. And so I said, okay, but it, much like you, it's like, that's fine. But if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it in a way that feels an integrity with the material. And so, you know, we threw everything in there, like ego deconstruction and group, group dynamics, like all of the stuff that leads to bias in perception. And so um, it was a brilliant concept. My husband and I were the only two who could teach it. And, and the students, we put thousands of agents through this and they loved it, right? Because it, it, they, it, it finally got to the heart of the fact that you have to be able to observe yourself in these situations. And um, so fast forward to us coming out of government, which by the way, we started with chicken farming. Um, so I had to giggle there. I know exactly what leghorns and, and wine dots are and, and all of them. And so that brought me back. Um, but then we we got into entrepreneurship and we had people begging us to do for them what we did for the government. And it made no sense to us. We're like, what are you talking about? We were in espionage. Like, this is business. Like, they have nothing to do with each other, right? It just didn't compute in our head. That was how naive we were. But what they wanted was to learn due diligence. And they they said, we, we, we have to do due diligence. We know this, but we don't know how to do it. And it's like, well, there's a whole protocol and espionage for that, but I'm not, you know, we didn't know enough about right. business to really get a glimpse. And I kept saying to my husband, I said, unless we have a process that we can trust that works a hundred percent of the time, we're not really equipped to do this. Right. And so we started out testing processes. And the one that we came up with was we ended up calling it the due diligence process. But the first step is exactly what you were speaking of, which is simply critical thinking. What, what do I know? What do I need to know? How do I, how do I know this information, right? Just sort of getting under the surface a little bit and realizing that that is where we hold our biases and our assumptions. And, and and it starts to illuminate the things that we take on face value as being gospel truth. And, and, and it's not. And so teaching ourselves to triangulate information or to, you know, even maybe go to prayer or meditation or some sort of internal knowingness or connection to something bigger than ourselves in, in guiding us in that, if that's your thing, but regardless, at least being willing to think critically starts us all in a path of saying, okay, I'm not going to blindly consume and regurgitate um, and perpetuate these kinds of matters. And if we could just start there, I think that we've got a solid chance of maybe discovering some new things about ourselves and each other. Jack, I, I, I love the book. I, I love the concept. I appreciate your presence in the world and your willingness to sort of peel back layers and shine some light. Um, let's remind people again where they can go to find out more about you. You're very sweet. My website is Lessonberry Inc. Uh, L-E-S-S-E-N-B-E-R-R-Y Inc. I-N-K dot com. I wasn't lucky enough to have a simple name like Reckler. And, uh, but, uh, what can I say? And I had to also, marry into that one. <laughs> there you go. 
I, I also, the book is called Reason Versus Racism by me, and you can find it in hardcover or softcover or Kindle on, on Amazon. And I think, I, I think you, are very, you are very wise, Ms. Reckla. And I'd like to leave, I think the way I would put it is that, you, yes, you have to learn how to think outside the box. But first of all, you have to know what's in the box and how the box works. <laughs> and if you can't, you have, you know, you have to, like, I guess that's a fancy way of saying you have to know the rules before you know when you can break them. That's exactly right, Bhuv, and I will take your compliment and, and reflect that back to you, sir. And and I, I appreciate this, and then I feel like maybe there are many more conversations in our future together. How about that? I, I'd be honored to be on your show again. And in in, in the meantime, uh, stay you know enjoy the sun there in in, in Phoenix, and we in Detroit <laughs> are hoping to see the sun in three or four months. <laughs> well, we'll send it your way. How about that? We can share. I love it. Well, thank you so much, Jack, and to all of you. Thank you for listening. We, we appreciate you. And if you want to come participate with us and get a little messy with us in our conversations and the stuff that we explore and just a willingness to, to gather together and, and shine light and, and, and pour into each other, we welcome you to, to our community calls. You can sign up for free on our site at superpowerexperts.com if you go to the events. Um, and, and we just invite you to, to come and let us pour into you. Um, that's where we gather. You get to connect with us and and all of these wonderful people that you get to hear on the network too. We, we always invite them to join us as well. So, so take a moment if that resonates with you. Um, but regardless, thank you for listening to the network and supporting it. It means a lot to us. And, and we appreciate you sharing it with those who, who could use a little reminder that there are bigger conversations and there are people who, uh, who are shining light and love where, where they can and, and encouraging you to do the same. So for now, we love you. Go out and love each other. Goodbye for now. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Superpower Network. Go now to superpowerexperts.com to unlock your superpowers and change your life today.